Welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm Season 2 podcast. My name's Philip Walker and I'm joined by my colleague Yvonne Hartley. Hi. And today we're going to be discussing some of the ways that we've tried to get members of Parliament, both MPs and peers, uh, involved in the campaign to get disclosure around Jeremy's case. The first time a politician was involved in Jeremy's case was when the then Home Secretary, Douglas Hurd, imposed a whole life sentence on Jeremy in 1988. Now, Jeremy didn't find out about this until 1994. We're not going to go into too much detail about that today because it is a separate and dedicated podcast about Jeremy's sentence, which you will find in this series. Jeremy has approached MPs as a campaign over a lot of years. Some of the approaches have been left with no responses whatsoever, whereas others have been raised in the Commons and in the House of Lords, but no action was taken to resolve any of the disclosure issues. So we're going to set out a few of those instances where MPs have tried to help us, but also instances where we've been completely ignored as well. In 1989, Michael Grills, Tory MP, raised in Parliament the question regarding Jeremy having his appeal application turned down and so wanted to know if uh, Douglas Heard was prepared to make a statement about the conduct of the police investigations, which had happened throughout the case. To this, Douglas Heard said that the, he asked the Chief Constable of Essex Police, Robert Bunyard, to conduct an urgent report of the actions of the police immediately after the trial. And this was done by Sir Richard Barrett, the Chief Inspector of Constabulary, addition with Bunyard, who raised issues throughout their reports about lessons that might be learnt and applied to the police in general when a crime such as this had taken place. They admitted that there were clear errors in the early stage of the police investigations in Jeremy's case and that they didn't follow normal procedures in murder cases. So because of, of these reports, done by Barrett, which were actually based on the Dickinson inquiry, Philip, very oddly, which was an internal police investigation, Essex Police investigating Essex Police, which was a formula used by Barrett for his report, it was decided that action had to be taken to resolve shortcomings in the future, but it never actually addressed any of the issues surrounding Jeremy's case or what happened with him. The next intervention from a politician came in March 2001 when John Whittingdale, the MP for Morden, uh, asked a question of the then Home Secretary, uh, Charles Clark, about the uh, application Jeremy had made back in 1997 to the Home Office uh, for an appeal. But obviously the major event that had happened between the appeal being um, requested and uh, Whittingdale's question was that uh, the power to review miscarriages of justice had transferred from the Home Office to the CCRC. So it was a totally different setup. And Jeremy's application got caught in, in that change. So it was a full five years from his application to a decision being made by the CCRC eventually to allow and recommend an appeal uh, but unfortunately, that appeal in 2002 was then turned down 
by the Court of Appeal judges. In 2005, Andrew Hunter, the then MP for Basingstoke, raised matters in the Commons, and this was regarding the radio logs, the recordings, uh, audio tapes that we know Essex police have in their possession of when the firearms team entered the house, as well as recordings of telephone conversations. So although we got to raise it, this in a debate in the Commons, the result from that wasn't as we'd hoped. Um, basically, he challenged the CCRC on how they had approached issues and the length of time they took on considering issues. One of the things raised, and I can quote Andrew Hunter at the time, who said, such action is necessary to avoid perpetuating what a growing number of people fear may be one of the greatest miscarriages of justice of our time. So after he'd raised concerns in the Houses of Parliament over Jeremy's case and the evidence, he called for the Home Office to look closely at the issues of non-disclosure and the behaviour of Essex Police in hiding evidence. The issues I set out earlier were all raised and also evidence was raised about photographs showing Sheila's bloodied feet and the lack of liver mortis. Also in the debate was pieces of evidence including the video recordings of the crime scene and incident reports. These documents today have still not been made available to either Jeremy, the legal team, or the campaign, even though Andrew got assurances made by Fiona McTaggart that the Criminal Cases Review Commission was indeed the right body to obtain such documents. But even to date, Essex Police are refusing to disclose them. A significant event happened in 2007, Philip, and that was when Jeremy had his lie detector test, which, of course, he passed with no deception indicated. So following that, Mr George Galloway asked a question in Parliament, asking what assessments have been made of the implications on Jeremy's detention in custody, considering that he'd now passed the slide detector test. So addressing that question was Gerald Sutcliffe, who was at the time the Minister for Prisons and Probation. And he actually responded that there was no impact whatsoever on Jeremy's custody as a result of the polygraph test and would remain on the whole life tariff. And he also emphasised that this would mean he was not eligible for a parole board review at any time to consider his release. But he did state that if Jeremy wanted to make any further application to the CCRC, then he could do so. The second MP who was very helpful to Jeremy was his local MP, Mary Cray, who was the member for Wakefield up until the last election in 2019. Uh, as well as giving moral support over a number of years, uh, she wrote to the CPS, uh, to Sue Hemmings, who was the head of special crime there in February of 2018, specifically requesting the disclosure of eight particular documents that, that were key to the case. Unfortunately, there is no record of any reply being received to that inquiry. Uh, and I think that is indicative about how public bodies seem to uh, ignore even members of parliament, which is a, a pretty shameful situation. 
Absolutely. All public bodies ultimately are answerable to Parliament. So uh, the, the way this is just brushed to one side is uh, undermines our democracy in, in broad terms. And it wasn't like Mary Craig was asking for files and files and files of documentation. She asked for specifically information regarding eight specific documents. Yeah, that's right. So she wasn't just fishing. But th these were key documents that uh, we strongly believe would have uh, proved Jeremy's innocence. And she was just batted away. Uh, so uh, it, it shows that even when the MPs are being helpful as she was, uh, it is very difficult to break down the wall of silence and obstruction that uh, has been built around this case. And of course, that came at a very important time because between 2016 and 2020 is when Jeremy's legal team were challenging the CPS for the disclosure of 27 documents. Jeremy didn't even ask his MP to seek disclosure of all of those. It was simply eight. That's right, and that's how we got back to the CCRC and the, the judicial review about the disclosure of the, the wider 27 documents ended up with um, the judge recommending that the CCRC was the appropriate body to deal with this, uh, which unfortunately, up to now, they seem to have shown a uh, strange reluctance to do. However, with the appointment of our new case uh, review manager, we are hoping that situation changes very soon. Definitely. Now, in terms of trying to get engagement with the, the wider body of MPs, um, back in 2017, uh, we did have a campaign of getting people to write to their MPs, didn't we? We did, yes. We asked all supporters to write to their local MPs and MEPs. We also included a disclosure booklet that we put together, which set out just some of the key documentation that we know exists that Essex Police have never disclosed. So a lot of Jeremy's supporters wrote to their MPs, wrote to their MEPs. The response from those individuals was abysmal. Very, very few people got a response. Um, you can see, you can still see the disclosure package that we put together that is still available on the website, if you want to have a look, as are the court orders that were made at the time of the last appeal in 2002 for full disclosure of case documents. Those were included in the package that was sent by supporters to their MPs and nothing became of that either. Yeah, the, the shocking thing is we don't even get replies to this. It's not as if we're getting letters saying thank you for your information, I'm sorry I can't help, it just disappears into a void. Exactly. One MP, though, who did respond at that time in 2017 was Baroness Jones. Yes, and, and she actually was the one person who, who turned out to be very helpful. Uh, she followed up her interest by asking two questions in the House of Lords uh, in 2017, again on disclosure, uh, very specific and focused questions which again were, were just battered away by the uh, relevant minister in, a, in an almost dismissive manner. 
So even when people are asking the right questions, they're, they're just not getting any answer, let alone a satisfactory answer. Exactly. And it was, of course, around that time as well that Peter Tatchell became heavily involved with the campaign and with Jeremy in trying to seek disclosure and to get MP involvement. Uh, Peter's still very active to this day on trying to achieve this. And you may recall that last year we did protest outside Essex Police Headquarters with Peter presenting a letter to the Chief Constable Harrington. So yet again, a less than satisfactory response was achieved. But Peter has been very active in trying to get MPs involved and recently got in touch with uh, David Davis which, and Helena Kennedy, which we'll talk about shortly. But to keep things in the chronological order, we as a campaign made an approach in 2021 with the assistance of Ron Bailey, who's a campaigner within the House of Lords. And he helped us put together a disclosure package, which was very specifically to send to the all-party parliamentary group for miscarriages of justice. So can you tell us a bit more about that, please, Philip? Yes, well, this body had been formed, I think, in 2020. Uh, it's a group of over 30 MPs and peers who have a specific interest in miscarriages of justice. Uh, and when they set up this body, they, they did say that they couldn't look at specific cases as such. They were looking at the overarching issues that were tended to be involved in most miscarriages of justice, such as lack of disclosure. Uh, and it was on that basis that we approached them. We, we pointed out the huge lack of disclosure in Jeremy's case as an example of how the system was failing. And we, we sent them a lot of information on this, were, were, were highlighted all the key points we thought that they needed to consider in, in terms of what they might recommend uh, for reform of the system. But regrettably, we didn't get a single response. Absolutely nothing whatsoever from any member of the APPG for miscarriages of justice, which is just incredible. Say Jeremy is the longest standing miscarriages justice in the UK. He's always maintained his innocence. And it seems like they weren't willing to help. They weren't willing to even respond to the very carefully put together package with the assistance of somebody who they recognise within the Lords. And nothing became of it. It's just astounding. Yeah, so what, one of the issues that may be at play here is something that Jim Maddox raised in one of our recent podcasts when he said that the, the creation of the CCRC in effect broke the link between MPs and constituents who, who've suffered miscarriages of justice in that when they're approached, their, their usual response is, well, the CCRC deal with all this kind of stuff, so off you go to them. Uh, however, what they don't realise is that the CCRC is not functioning as effectively as they should do, and therefore it really is a matter for them, because all of their constituents potentially could be affected by, by the malfunctioning of the system as it stands at the moment. So, And that was highlighted so eloquently recently in 
the Westminster Commission for Miscarriages of Justice, which was in effect a scrutiny of the CCRC and the way that they approached resolving people who have made applications to them. So it doesn't only cover disclosure issues, but the length of time that the CCRC were taking and the thresholds, the, the levels that they had to reach to prove innocence as well as disclosure issues. And it was a very powerful report. Yes, I mean, if, if all those recommendations were to be implemented in due course, that, that would make the system considerably better. However, it does seem strange that a case that exemplifies all of those failings should uh, not attract any interest from the members of the body that, that produced that report. Uh, and that just seems strange. It certainly does. But as well, we have made a very recent approach to all the MPs. Every single MP in the country was sent a package. So this package included a, a letter which set out the key disclosure issues in Jeremy's case, as well as evidence of Jeremy's innocence, which is in front of the CCRC. And we had an astounding response to this one, didn't we, Philip? Yes, we, we had one single acknowledgement that they'd received the letter. <laughs> but unfortunately, even that acknowledgement didn't lead to any action. So the, the sum result of our efforts for, for all those MPs was a big fat zero. So 651 MPs who received personally through the post, they were emailed, they were posted documents to prove Jeremy's innocence, and evidence that had gone to the CCRC as, and raising the disclosure issues, it's imperative, and nothing, absolutely nothing. Just mind-boggling that they can ignore it. I mean, and it doesn't come cheap. You know, we're only a small campaign and everything has to be posted and paid for and printed. And, you know, it's considerable expense and just to be ignored. It maybe wouldn't have been too bad if we'd have got any letters back, but we didn't get any. Yeah, so when the day of uh, Jeremy's release does arrive, which it undoubtedly will, uh, when all you see your television screens filled with MPs saying, oh, I always knew he was innocent uh, and, and have been helping out over the years, you, you can take that with a huge pinch of salt that it deserves apart from the, the handful of people we've mentioned up to now, who, who, with the exception to that rule. And one of those is David Davis, Philip, isn't it, who's brought in by Peter Tatchell, and David Davis has actually been helping? Yes, he has. He, he asked uh, a number of questions in the House recently, at the beginning of 2022, uh, which again were just batted away by the relevant government minister which given that the, the standing that David Davis has within Parliament as a, a former uh, Shadow Home Secretary, uh, so he clearly has great expertise in this area, the fact that even he, as somebody of his seniority and being well respected on all sides of the House, couldn't manage to get a satisfactory answer to the, the basic questions that he was asked, asking it is really quite shocking in, in terms of accountability of, of government uh, and that there are wider issues that are shown up by this case in many, many respects. Uh, and that, I think, is one that he will keep on. 
I mean, even though he did ask the, the questions, the, the responses he received didn't even reflect on the question that was being asked. No, it didn't. It seemed to answer a totally different question that, that had nothing to do with what was asked, purely, I think, as a way of, of just dismissing the whole, whole matter. But at so, least he got to ask the questions because also Helen Kennedy QC also had a different set of three questions she wanted to raise in the Lords, but she was refused permission to ask the questions. And we don't know why that was. We presume it was because it was specific to one person's case, but we don't have any actual facts on why that was prevented. Yeah, so it, if it turns out that, that that was the case, that she was prevented from asking a, a perfectly legitimate question, again, it shows up just the extent that the, the system goes to to protect itself from scrutiny. Uh, and that should be very worrying to everybody, not, not just in terms of criminal justice, but, but across the uh, whole uh, panoply of government. Exactly. There's one further potential matter of concern as far as the campaign and MPs is concerned, and that is the position of the current Home Secretary, Priti Patel. Home Secretaries do not now have the wide-ranging powers over the judicial system that they used to have. Particularly, they're not allowed to intervene in sentencing anymore. Nonetheless, they, they're still able to set the tone for events occurring within the system. Priti Patel, who is MP for Witham, which is the constituency next door to White House Farm, has been very vocal in the past on behalf of the relatives and beneficiaries who are constituents of hers. She's also had a lot to say about prisoners' access to the media whilst in jail, even for those who are maintaining innocence. And she is clearly of the view that prisoners should be very restricted in terms of making their case for innocence to the public. So given these views, we hope that Priti Patel does the right thing and recuses herself from any involvement in any of the considerations surrounding Jeremy's submissions to the CCRC or any appeal that may follow from these. I think considering Priti Patel's comments about Jeremy's case in the past, I don't hold out much hope that she'll ever support him on his application. No, I don't think she'll ever support him, but she doesn't now have the power to intervene. Um, that, that would be illegal. So let's hope that she doesn't try and exert any uh, arm's length pressure during the process and, uh, and steps aside from any considerations of, of Jeremy's case. Let's hope not, because Priti Patel wouldn't have any reservations in hanging Jeremy. Because as she said on Question Time a few years ago, she was quite happy and wanted to reintroduce capital punishment for convicted murderers. Do we want someone like that, that making decisions? No, she's clearly not a disinterested spectator, that much is clear. So uh, hopefully she will keep well clear of the situation. Hopefully so, Philip. Well, it may pe make people wonder, well, why should they even bother writing to their own MP about Jeremy's case and disclosure? We absolutely have faith in the submissions we've sent. And as Philip said earlier, we believe that once there is a referral to the Court of Appeal in the very near future, 
then all the MPs are going to want to be involved and to be seen to be supporting this miscarriage of justice. What we're hoping to be able to do within the next few weeks is dependent upon the response we do get from the Criminal Cases Review Commission, is we are considering launching a new approach to the MPs involving all supporters. And that way, hopefully then, more people are going to sit up and take notice. And also this campaign would be undertaken with a view to, to, to the medium term, not just of, of helping to deal with Jeremy's case, which we're sure one way or another will be sorted out very soon, but to, to encourage reform of the system, because that there will be a massive explosion of publicity about this miscarriage of justice when Jeremy is, is exonerated. And if MPs have been informed about defects in the system, such as around disclosure through material they've received from us and our supporters, then that, that impetus for reform is going to be that much stronger. And uh, changes can be put in place that prevent this, this travesty of justice happening again. Absolutely, because every single case that involves a miscarriage of justice, the, at the heart of everyone, is non-disclosure mm. and it cannot this day and age be sustained if the police force, the relevant police force has nothing to hide then there's very little reason why evidence should not be disclosed to a defendant's defense team very little it's not going to be mounds of paperwork as it would have been years ago discs memory pens, it can all be computerized. It's not a massive undertaking. Transparency is so important and transparency would ensure that miscarriages of justice never happened. But the other thing is, is Parliament needs to strengthen the law because a lot of people would argue that these provisions are already in place. Um, the fact that people have a right to a fair trial, most people would say, involves all of the evidence being examined by a jury, not just the parts that the police choose to cherry pick. Um, and in other, as I think we, we've said in previous podcasts, in other common law jurisdictions such as the US, Canada, Australia, that they've dealt with this issue very strongly. Uh, in the US, they have what's called the Brady violation, where the withholding of any uh, exculpatory evidence automatically leads to a mistrial. Uh, and that provision means that the temptation for the police to hide uh, any exculpatory evidence is that much less because they know that if they get caught doing that, it will totally blow their case out of the water. So that really is what we need in this country. And hopefully Jeremy's uh, exoneration will be a catalyst for that. Absolutely. Well, you know, if MPs would like to get involved, I mean, please do so. Please contact us if anybody would like to write to their MPs prior to any campaign being launched by ourselves. Please do so. Just highlight, you know, Jeremy suffered almost 37 years in prison for a crime we know he didn't commit. He knows he didn't commit, and so do Essex Police. The evidence is there. We've got the Holmes box reference numbers to the documentation that we need, and they still won't disclose it. So hopefully that the Criminal Cases Review Commission will get that disclosure. But 
that doesn't rectify the situation that Jeremy served 37 years that he needn't have served. Yeah, and that's the, the, the small silver lining that we hope will come out of all this, that you know, change will come about as a result of his uh, exoneration and that other people won't have to suffer this, uh, this excruciating sort of a tragedy that, that he's been through. So uh, that's our hope. And uh, we will keep plugging away with uh, both MPs and peers to, to try and engage their interests, despite the fact that it's clearly, as you've heard, been uphill work. But I'm sure, as I said, they will all be uh, jumping on the bandwagon once Jeremy is, <laughs> is out. And uh, we will hope that uh, the, the, the impetus for reform at that point will be so strong that uh, the system will change. Absolutely. And it can't happen soon enough to it. Yes, indeed. Good. Right. Well, I think that's all we have to say about the subject of uh, members of Parliament. So thank you for listening. And uh, it's goodbye from Yvonne. Bye. And from me. Goodbye. If you'd like to join our mailing list for the latest updates on the case as they happen, please email us via our website, www jeremy-bamba.co.uk